to you to call up and have your say on anything we've talked about or not talked about. Well, under the banner of uh, investing in welfare recipients to improve their lives, what a joke, the Australian government yesterday unveiled a, an offensive designed to satisfy the demands of the financial and corporate elites for the dismantling of welfare entitlements. The government trying to put new window dressing on measures designed to coerce some of the poorest workers in the country into low-paid jobs. At the same time, the government's tackling the uh, targeting rather the welfare system, including disability programs and aged pensions, again in order to lower taxes further for the corporations and the wealthy. The minister, Christian Porter, the social service minister, declared a revolution to eliminate welfare dependency. Revolution, eh? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, to eliminate welfare dependency. And he means, of course, poor people receiving money, not rich people receiving money. In reality, the proposals take it to a new level, the welfare-to-work drive by successive governments, Labor and Coalition. Porter rejected criticism that unemployment benefits which have been kept at below poverty levels for two decades, they're currently a fabulous $38 a day for single adults, mm. push people into poor quality, part-time and low-wage jobs. Porter boasted of the punitive success of the welfare streeting. By making it challenging <coughs> to live off unemployment benefits, the government was already pushing off within six months 90%, 6% of those who rely solely on the benefit. Only 1,500 people rely, remain on the base rate for a long period. The government tried to go further. He insisted by compelling applicants to wait four weeks before payments began. I mean, that's just cruelty. Porter's cynical declarations about the dignity and purpose of work are based on a false premise. One, which is, of course, that there are actually jobs out there for yes. people to take up. Even according, to the, even according to the understated official statistics, more than 720,000 workers are unemployed and there are 18 job seekers on average for every job. For every job, yeah. And you still <coughs> see people are expected to come up with, was it 20 jobs a 20, fortnight yes, or something? Exactly. Well, where do we need to get these jobs? I don't know. Roy Morgan, the pollsters, estimate that the real level of unemployment is twice as high as the official 5.7%, which is a total lie. A total of 2.3 million workers, 17.5%, not 5%, are either unemployed or seriously underemployed, which has been a rise of nearly 1% over the past year. In 2014, a third of those living below the poverty line were working poor, that is, a third of the people below the poverty actually, were people who actually had in full-time jobs with uh, wages. Full-time jobs, yeah. Mm. Which, I mean, an awful lot of people don't have. An awful lot of times it's casual jobs, part-time yes, jobs, more exactly. and more. Citing statistical analysis commissioned by the government from accounting firm Price Waterhouse Coopers, Porter produced the misleading claim that the lifetime cost of welfare payments to those currently on benefits would total a colossal $4.8 trillion. It's a confected, made-up figure. First of all, the data focuses on alleged forecasts of the future plight of a relatively small group of young recipients. For example, of the 4,370 teenage parents, 4,370, 12% only were expected to access income support for the rest of their lives. Now, the government 
polling doesn't take that into account at all. Secondly, the biggest and fastest growing categories of welfare dependents are age pensioners, people on national ability insurance, scheme programs and disability pensions. In other words, it's the basic social right to welfare itself, including retirement pensions, that's being declared unsustainable. Assisted by the corporate media, which constantly demonises dull bludgers, single mothers, welfare parents, governments, Labour and Coalition have already dramatically lowered the proportion of working age population receiving income support payments from 25% in 1994 to 16.5% in 2015. This has been done by punishing measures so as eliminating sole parent payments once the youngest child turns eight, imposing harsh work, work tests on dole recipients, as John said, getting them to apply for non-existent jobs. Why, one measure alone, cutting off sole parent benefits, a process completed by the Gillard Labor government, the proportion of households receiving these payments halved from 5% in 1998 to 2.4% in 2015. <clears throat> Porter went simply beyond seeking to repackage the welfare-to-work drive. He advanced an underlying agenda of redefining fairness and he dismissed social inequality as a social indicator. Fairness now consists, in his view, of stopping the mere transfer of one money from one group to another. Inequality was just a measure of difference, not of comparative well-being. Now, what the hell? What the hell does that mean? That just made. a measure of difference. <laughs> well, so he can disregard it. <laughs> <laughs> Similar nostrums are being brought forward to declare the failure of expenditure on education and health, which is decried as throwing money at the problem. So mm. educating your children is basically, as far as they're concerned, a waste of money. Throwing money at a problem. This means nothing less than the gutting of all social spending in order to boost corporate mm. profits and widen the gap between the wealthy elites and the working class. Well, that's the real welfare. See, it's bottom-up welfare. Yeah, of course it is. Middle-class welfare. According to the recent estimates by the Australian Council of Social Services, by 2014, two and a half million people, or 13.9% of all Australian residents, were already living below the internationally accepted poverty line of 50% of median household income. Among them were 603,000 children, or 17.5% of all children in Australia. By presenting his measures as investing in people, the government is aiming to secure the political assistance of the charities in the other group that vie for the ever-dwindling government grants to provide basic social services once delivered by the government themselves. Well, you know, John Howard was a big <clears throat> fan of this going back, I suppose it's nearly 20 years now, of handing over all the government dealing with this yes, to uh, you know, yes. the Salvation Army and the like, who he was very close well, to. Well, the CEO of Mission Australia expects cautious <clears throat> optimism about the government's agenda. Well, that marks, uh, that marks them out. Mission Australia, yeah, I saw him Complete speaking, idiots. Yeah. As for the Labour Party, it's demonstrated its basic grief by last week and helped the government push through the first post-election legislation, an omnibus bill designed to cut public spending by $6.3 billion over the next four years. More than half the cuts will come from welfare, including payments to families, students, the young unemployed, newly arrived immigrants and aged nursing home residents. People who they consider <coughs> cannot fight back, aged care residents, right. right? The weakest, the poorest... These people need to organise too, of course, you know, but it's pretty cowardly stuff, isn't it? Well, it is. When you attack 
the least able to fight. Whereas the so-called financial crisis, of course, could easily be solved, well, just off the top of my head, cut the subsidies to the coal people. Bugger the submarines. Bugger the submarines, only $48 billion, mind you. Cancel the enormous hundreds of billions of dollars of defence increases. Mm-hmm. What for? What are they, what do we do? So, because so we can play our part in and trying to contain China, our major trading partner. And it's bombing insane. the armies of countries, <clears throat> well, not actually at war with. That's right. That's right. You know. That's right. Freedom to bomb, our democratic right to bomb uh, the shit out of anybody we choose to. And at the moment, we're participating in Syria. Now, that's all I want to say about that anyway. Uh, now, well, I was going to speak a little bit about Syria, seeing as you brought it up. Uh, and the war in Syria intensifies every week, and the level of foreign involvement also increases. There have been major airstrikes this past few days, and claims and counterclaims being made by the United States and Russia over who did what and why. Some things we do know. Earlier this week, the U.S. Air Force and its allies bombed the Syrian government base near the town of Deir Erzar. The attack killed at least 62 Syrian troops and injured at least 100. Also involved in this attack were aircraft from Britain, Denmark and just said, Australia. Of course. Of course. This fact that the airstrikes <coughs> lasted for an hour and, as you say, there was four... And there were four strikes. I mean, mm. it's believable, I think, if the United States had made... Whoops. Whoops, we bombed the wrong, we bombed the Syrians. But then they did another three times, <laughs> which makes it pretty hard to say that all four raids mm. were a mistake. So it lasted for <clears> an hour, and what it actually did militarily was gave none other than IS, the extremists, the chance to capture the Syrian government base. Mm. Right? Mm. The IS, the ISIS. So this is very worrying. It's also sad to think that this country's collaboration with Washington could have led our Air Force, the Australian Air Force, to com- c- commit what some now consider a war crime. And if it was part of a deliberate plan, I think it must be considered as a war crime. We're, oh, oh, we're, we're not at war with Syria. No, 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 no. Well, we are, but we're not admitting it. We're not officially at war, you know. Yet even as Russia called an emergency meeting at the United Nations, the United States government refused to issue a formal apology to Syria for what they say was a mistake. Uh, I mean, I think we'd think it would be normal to apologise for mistakes or are Syria's Muslim extremists to take heart that the Western powers are yet again aiding them in their quest for power? Because this wouldn't be the first time. The Obama administration made these remarks following news of the bombing, quote, The coalition airstrike was halted immediately when coalition officials were, officials were informed by Russian officials that it was possible the personnel and vehicles targeted were part of the Syrian military. So um, you'd have to wonder what would have happened if the Russians hadn't been there, you know, around there to sort of like, you know, Sound the alarm. Well, quite, quite. Warn them off. But they can nevertheless, they conducted four Mm. missions. I Mm. think we should remember that. Only last week we were told that the US and Russia had brokered a ceasefire in the country. Uh, Few would have expected that to last. Mm. It's well known that fundamentalists such as IS, definitely they have little interest in peace. But this week it is the nuclear armed powers, we have to remember that, nuclear armed powers, which are escalating the war themselves. 
There was an announcement by Washington and Moscow that a joint task force was being set up to tackle IS and the other Muslim extremists, and most would agree that that would be a good thing if it actually was put into effect. Why then would there be any such attack at this time, unless there are laws in political and or military circles who don't want any kind of ceasefire? This makes more sense than Western claims that it was all just a mistake. An inquiry is now being set up to decide whether the attack was a result of one. This is what this is what they're looking into, right? Mm. This is a choice. This is a choice. The inquiry's got before them. <coughs> one was it an intelligence failing, or two was it human error? Not much of an inquiry then, as both <laughs> scenarios still point to it being a mistake. Yes, that's right. right. That's right. So you've got one or two. The Russians, for their part, have. Uh, have implied that it was a deliberate act of war. The involvement of the RAAF must be of concern to the Australian public, that's us. The Abbott government recklessly got us involved in what it said was a campaign to fight IS in Iraq. That quickly became a campaign in Syria, possibly against IS, possibly also against the Syrian government, possibly now against both. Uh, Another attack took place on Monday. This uh, one was on a United Nations aid convoy in Aleppo in in the north of Syria. And at least 20 people were killed in this one. US officials quickly pointed the finger at the Russians, but both Moscow and Damascus denied any involvement. And uh, I just heard on the radio before that they say there was uh, a missile found or a casing found, which is Russian and the Syrian government are not in possession of it. So that's what they were saying on the ABC this morning. Right, right, right. But, I mean, I don't think that should necessarily be believed. Well, can you believe? I get confused, but I must admit. The New York Times um, even went so far, this is uh, about the attack on the UN aid convoy, the New York Times even went so far as to say that, get this, Private U.S. intelligence has suggested Russian aircraft carried out the attack. Well, it's easy to say that, isn't it? There's well, who no... the hell are they? Yeah. Private, <laughs> private U.S. You mean somebody on their staff yeah. made it up? Yeah, well, Bob, what do you reckon? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jack, you you're a bit of an expert, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. So it's very easy to say, but uh, there's no honest of proof whatsoever on private U.S. intelligence. So, um, but the possibility of that being a mistake, not considered. Not at all, not at all. It was the Russians. So the American side uh, have made their claims largely owing to the fact that the the convoy was travelling to a rebel-held area. The US says it is fighting Islamic extremists while also opposing the Assad government in Damascus, so there's some dispute that. The Russians, I've just given an overview, the Russians say they're fighting... That's what I wanted to do, actually. Yeah, the the US says it's... They say they're fighting Islamic extremists, but it's fairly clear they're also fighting the Assad government. Some some say no. Oh, I think US US policy is completely incoherent. Yeah, I don't know how you can now say they're not attacking the Assad government. Yeah, that's right. How can you argue that? But anyway, but the Russians, they say they're fighting Islamic extremists. I think there's some pretty good evidence of that. Mm. And they definitely support the Assad government. Yes, a long time ago. Yes, yes. This war has dragged on for over five years. Originally referred to as the Syrian Civil War, it's now much bigger than that. At least 400,000, at least, people have been killed. 
and millions of people have been displaced. Many of them have tried to flee or have fled to Europe and elsewhere in search of a decent life. Many of these people are now being blamed by some for being in a situation which, well, they didn't create. This has become a war where now all of the major powers are involved. An end to hostilities would be a great thing, but it's hard to be optimistic about that happening at this stage. Still, it would be a good start if we could organise a peace movement to counter these ongoing conflicts, the way we used to have uh, a peace movement like we used to have against the Vietnam War <laughs> and against <laughs> the, uh, the Iraq War. But when I was, when I was like, looking at these, um, you know, this bombing by these, the Air Force and possibly two Air Forces, I was reminded of uh, a few years back the former U.S. General Wesley Clark and he was speaking of, uh, it's quite a well-known interview, he was speaking of what he called an American plan to take out seven Middle Eastern countries, one of which was Syria. And um, it, apparently he overheard this at the Pentagon. This guy, I mean, he's, he's right up there, Wesley Clark. Mm. And the quote he's, uh, he, he used seems to say a lot about how the military-industrial complex operates and about how these, you know, these hawks, and they can, they can be in any armed forces, but yes. the U.S. Air Force is the big, how they operate. And he said, if the only tool you have is a hammer, then every problem has to look like a nail. <laughs> right, that's, uh, that's good. It's a great quote, you know. Um, I, I just want to, I wanted to do theory too, but I wanted to paint some background pictures. I mean, John's dealt with the events of the last few days, but... I want to make some points. Okay, well, you can come back. Briefly. Come back. Yeah. Yes, yeah. You can come back to this. Mm. Uh, uh, first of all, we've got a, we, the Assad dictatorship has been there for decades. Right? And his father was there, and it goes back to and the 1960s. And his father was there, and... It was a coup d'etat. Yeah, it was a coup d'etat. There's, there's no great democracy there. Oh, Let's no, not no. Kid it was the dictatorship. Okay, it had reasonable social services. The position mm. of women was better than, say, in Saudi Arabia or most of the US allies. Mm. But it was a dictatorship. Mm. And in... 2011, uh, the Arab Spring spread throughout the Arab world and the Assad regime crushed the Arab Spring movement. As dictators do. As dictators do. And the Arab uh, Spring people took up arms as a response. Third point we should make is that the United States has been in the region has and has effectively invaded the Middle East for the last 25 years. In 1991... We saw the beginning of the first Gulf War and the United States has been making war in the region ever since. Mm -hmm. In that time, it has managed to wreck Libya and Iraq, but it has achieved victory in neither place. Their big mistake in Iraq was to completely smash the existing state of Saddam Hussein. And this has made the country ungovernable because the present government is a sectarian Iraqi government totally dependent on the US and intent on persecuting other rivals to their particular brand of Muslim faith. Well, this is what Wesley Clark said, that he heard that, that what he heard was that <clears throat> the plan was to take out seven Middle Eastern countries. Yeah, I don't know what take out means, but I mean, if it means that you have a state which is operating good, bad or mm. indifferent as an actual state and actually running its own affairs and you create a situation where it isn't, that's been achieved. In Iraq, Syria, and Libya. Well, yes, yes, but I do think that Libya is um, Libya is slightly different because uh, 
because of that experience in Iraq and Libya, where they went in holus bolus, smashed mm. up the state and left chaos, mm. you know, over which even they have no control. Now, what they want is governments in the Middle East that are dominated by the United States yes. that will carry out. United States, they don't care whether they're dictatorships, they don't care whether they're democracy, as long as they are, they are mouldable and uh, usable in American interests. So business can carry on. So business can carry on. So their tactic in Syria is not to demolish the Assad dictatorship, but to subject to US domination. That means that they will favour the Assad government with Assad in the head or not. That's not the issue to them. They don't want to smash the state but they want it dominated by the Americans. This, of course, one of the tactics of doing this, is supporting various Islamist militias in Syria. And for a while there, the United States set, helped set, establish and arm ISIS. I mean, that went pretty badly wrong, but that's what they intended. The, the Free Syrian Army, which is one of the players in today's thing, uh, which some some people claim is merely a continuation of the Arab Spring, is in fact a coalition of some 20 groups, ranging from Nutter Islamic militias through to people who would have supported the Arab Spring, democracy and all the rest of it. So there's a coalition of groups. So when you talk about the Syrian army, free Syrian army, it depends where you are and under, under which group happens to be leading at the time. So some of the people in the, this FSA are actually quite progressive. Yeah? Yes, yeah, yes. And, and some of them are not job. Well, that's right, right. exactly, yeah. exactly. And I can show that, I can prove this in a way. The United States has shown in Syria a reluctance to either destroy ISIS hmm. or to fully smash the Syrian state, which is why I say US policy is relatively incoherent. Some argue that the free, the free Syrian army is merely a US puppet and that the Russians are the only one actually really fighting ISIS. We should note that the Russians have only been recently active players and they're obviously serious about defeating ISIS in the interest of their client state, Assad. Is whom it, they support. Can I just quick ask a quick question? Is it possible there's some kind of hawks versus doves thing going on within the US? Um, oh, I think there's all that. There's all that there because yeah. the policy lacks any coherence. Um, that they've only remember the reason the Russians have only been active there for some what is it a little over twelve months, and, and they're serious about defeating ISIS. But equally, the Assad regime, whom the Russians support, wants to eliminate all its opponents, not only ISIS, mm-hmm. but the Free Syrian Army, progressives, militants, yeah. nutters, mm-hmm. and all the rest of it. Mm-hmm. A recent report details how an American unit went awry... This is a recent report which you won't read in the local paper. A recent report details how an American unit in Syria arrived in a free, uh, a free Syrian army stronghold and was met by popular demonstrations telling them to go away and the crusaders were not welcome. Mm-hmm. So the response of the Free Syrian army is not... America is wonderful. In fact, they drove them out from this yeah. town. And Especially if you went one of those white sheets with a massive red cross on it. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, they might as well have won that. In the eyes of the Syrian, that's what they were. And so we have evidence that you know, at least parts of this free Syria, I mean, is anti-American. They're not simply client tools of the American. American policy is not coherent. 
It's they who initially funded ISIS because it served as a cat's paw for US imperialism, but they're no longer in control of ISIS. There's no doubt, I think, that the United... There's doubt, I think, that the United States made a mistake in hitting Syrian troops, especially as ISIS, now being protected effectively by air cover, made immediate advances. Yeah, that's right. They took the bus. Yeah, that's it. Now, there's also aid as to who actually attached the aid convoy. The Russians and the Assad uh, deny it. I don't know who did it. No proof has been offered, only assertions. So it's a very mucky world is Syria, and uh, there are no heroes there. The no ABC heroes. says that I think they said a shell casing or something, which is Russian and not, and, and the Syrian government is not in possession of it. And that's just what I heard coming in here. Well, it's like you know. saying they've used yeah. U.S. arms. That doesn't mm. necessarily mean the U.S. use them. It just mm. means they had U.S. arms. Now these arms go everywhere. That's what I mean. That's and they fall into the hands of the enemy too. Well, that's right. Of course they do. I just know. asked the Vietnamese. Yeah, you can't control where they're. No, 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 no. So I hope that's made some sort of. Sense of it. Now, please, you finish up. Yeah, yes, please. Good, we've got time too. Yeah, no, I was going to get into something which is, like Monty Python would say, completely different, uh, and that's the CUB 55. The dispute at the Carlton and United Brewery here in Abbotsford is still going on, and it's one of the most important industrial actions in recent years. 55 maintenance workers have been sacked by CUB and then offered their jobs back at 65% of their old wages. Now, as the AFL football finals, you can close your ears if you want. As the yeah. AFL football finals are into their final week, the workers are calling on football fans and anybody else really to boycott CUB beer. Yes, do that. People. There's, um, I mean, there's. Uh, used to be that Carlton United almost had a monopoly on beer yes, in yes. Melbourne, you know. But now you have a lot of these boutique beers, foreign yeah, beers, yeah, all yeah. this sort of nonsense. Still, a lot of people drink Vic. Yeah, Mel, whatever it is, you know, yeah, the yeah, famous yeah. Uh, Carlton United beer. I think this is doubly important because Carlton and United is a major business partner of the Australian Football League. Uh, last Friday, I was at the MCG to see the uh, Bulldogs win. Oh, you were there, were you? I was there, yes. <laughs> and, uh, and you're on board, are you? Uh, what oh, On the Bulldogs? Well, Who else is there? So you're on board. That's right, yeah. Right. So last Friday I was at the MCG and it was hard to avoid being bombarded by the CUB adverts all around the ground. Now, fortunately, this campaign is being endorsed by the Australian Council of Trade Unions, ACTU. Uh, every now and again they pop up. And they've registered thousands of people up to CUB free barbecues. So this is a one way of sending a message to this company, which is not an Australian company. CUB is now um, it's uh, an affiliate or whatever. It's, it's, it's owned, it's controlled, actually, by a foreign multinational. Is it American? A, 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 a South African, and I think there's some South American involvement, oh, and right. it's okay. uh, Lion or SA or something. And it's, it's also all these letters, and you get confused. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's a foreign multinational anyway. But uh, this is one way of sending a, a message that uh, we don't approve of what CUB is doing. No, good, 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 good. Um, yes, we, we, we've got we've got to win that. I mean, if they're offering and they can do it seriously, mm. if they're offering wages to workers at sixty five percent reduction, mm. I mean, there's nothing moderate about that. This is a massive, massive attack on the working class. And, and the, if they get away with it, if they get away with it, your job is next. Don't mm. think they're going to stop there. 
this is a try. If they can get away with this, they can do it to everybody. And the old, the old idea, I mean, I, I think the period in which I, my generation, I think, was dead lucky, the baby boomers, because we enjoyed free education, cheap housing, and plenty of jobs. But I was a baby boomer too, but at the end of it, sort of, I think it's 1946 to 1964. Yeah, something like yeah. that, something like mm. that. Um, well, you might have been the end of it, but I mean, I know, I mean, free education, that, if I were starting out today, mm. I wouldn't own a house. Mm. I wouldn't have had a university education. It's got tougher in a lot of ways. You know, oh, it's got, it's got much, much, it's got much, casualization, much. Casualisation, all this nonsense. And, the aim is, uh, and the Americans keep talking mm. about the middle class, which is a misnomer for the working class. Well, Chris Bourne has been speaking about the middle mm. class, the middle class. If you saw the edge yesterday, well, the Labour and Liberal always want to muddy the waters about mm. class. They want to confuse it so much that you don't realise that actually eighty-five percent of it belong to the working class, mm. and that if we united, we could solve a society's problems tomorrow. Mm. Well, that's pretty explosive stuff, and so. The, the Americans spend a lot of time obfuscating about class and calling people who are clearly working class the so-called middle class. In other words, if anybody's got a job in America, they're apparently middle class. I mean, it's yeah. a ridiculous thing. It's got no connection with <laughs> if reality. You, if, if you're not sleeping in a doorway, well, you're middle class. That's right. <laughs> you know, right? That's right. That's and, right. And um, the people in uh, North, uh, North Carolina, Charlotte, North Carolina, yeah. which has just been uh, put under a state of... Emergency? Yes. You know, yes. Owing to, uh, you know, well, I mean, th- that's another thing too. One another way of diverting people away from the fact mm. that there's a tiny minority of financiers and capitalists ruling society in their interests, not not ours. I've forgotten the point I was going to make. Mm. Um, is to divide us up along. Is to divide us up, and the constant emphasises <clears throat> on sexuality and race, mm. you know, that the big issue is whether you're gay or, or mm. straight. Mm. The capitalist class don't care. As long as you're standing upright and they don't have to pay for your getting better, they don't care whether you're straight, black, blue or brindle. Yeah. Uh, you're so- exploitable labour. And yet if they can get one lot of workers egged on by idiots like uh, Hansen to blame all your problems on the Muslims, Problem solved. I mean, I had to, was talking to a One Nation fellow at the gym there, and I well, said, yeah. the gymnasium, <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> that would explain my magnificent body. James's got a head in her hand. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I've never seen somebody actually. <laughs> I've never seen somebody actually die laughing. Yeah, I, think, right. I think I might now. Yes, it's quite, quite, but. But what I put to this Muslim bloke, I said, look, what are the A problems? Muslim bloke? No, sorry, this, this one nation yeah, bloke. Yeah. I said, uh, look, of all the major problems in Australia, unemployment, environmental degradation... Halal in, certification is in, what I'm worried about. Yeah, well, that's right. In, um, the, fact, the fact that the mass of people are getting poor, massive inequality, unemployment, you know, uh, shitty jobs paying money, lack of social... T- which of those problems are due to the Muslims? Not one of them. Though all those problems come from the capitalist class, who are considerably less than the 2% of Muslims. So, but there's it's a scapegoat. And I said to this bloke, do you understand the concept of scapegoat? That today it's the Muslims. 50 years ago, it was the Jews. Well, 20 years ago, it was the Asians, according to well, Paul. Well, that's right. That's right. Crazy. It was the Jews, and then the 50s, it was the communists, and then it was the Italians, and then it was all the Asians, and now... 
It's the Muslims. Apparently, 0.4% of Queensland's population is Muslim. So that's one in every 250 people. Oh, that's dangerous. They're being swamped. They're being swamped. (laughs) 